Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. My name is Simon Craft, and who is with me? It's me, Ben Aspinall. Hi folks, uh, my name is Will Harris, and if you don't that to their Twitter, your name is ChipsyYCFC. Yeah, so after having a guest last week, the experiment went so well that we've uh, done some more business in the transfer market, almost as much as uh, City themselves. And yeah, very happy to have Will with us today to chat about the... Borum late game. swoop for a very very aging player who is past his best is what you've done there but we're bringing experience in you know the club needs experiences <laughs> you're not one for the development squad but you, you know it's a uh, it's a wise <laughs> he, he, he does have the same agent as robbo so you know it's um there's there's rumors on the internet about you know backhanded deals We'll you've soon just see. watched a few videos haven't you lads you've not actually done any research at all you've just watched him go yeah he'll do he exists <laughs> But yes, we are going to talk about the start of the Ardley era. So the, the game against Boreham Wood is what we will be digging into, which um, I believe we all went to, so should be able to mm-hmm. um, give mm-hmm. a decent summary of that. Two all draw, may as well get straight into it. I did have a feeling before the game that Unlove would tear us apart. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so it proved <laughs> on a couple of occasions. Let's just go straight into talking about the starting lineup. So Ardley's first chance to pick a team. You know, he's had two days, I think, of training. Not a huge amount of time to to get a sense of, of who's who. He's gone with a four three three. no Paddy is one of the one of the headlines. Quite shocking not to see his name on a starting lineup there. Castro started, which I think was maybe a bit of a surprise. He thought he might go for the sort of more solid, less flair players as a as a reliable base. Um, and no players out of position. That was a that was a another novelty. What were your kind of thoughts on 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 the lineup that he picked? Well, I thought it was really good that he played Batty at the base of the three. Um, there's been some debate, hasn't there, since Batty joined about whether he's a holding midfielder, he's a box of boxes, the attacker, etc. I think we've all been debating amongst ourselves based on what Fleetwood fans have been saying. But uh, they went for the base, and I think um, he started off quite well. Um, in the game, I think City set off well as a whole, but him stood there, kind of control, you know, control the tempo of the play, uh, you know, spraying passes about. Um, I was quietly happy with um, Batty's contribution in the first, um, I want to say, first half of the first half. Um, I think he was a really good, solid base to build on. And that's why, you know, players like that allowed the more luxurious players like Castro and maybe to a lesser extent like Dyson as well. I thought Batty looked really good. Um, and in terms of home games I've seen this year, I think the best we played apart from that first twenty-five was when we had Woodward, uh, Woodyard, sorry, in the in the centre in that in that defensive role, kind of breaking up play and running it. And it was really obvious that we had someone in there who actually knew how to play that role. I thought first twenty-five we looked really strong. I thought we had a tactical shape which was really good. I mean, from our position, it was a free hit, wasn't it? He'd had two days. He'd had. I don't know, maybe three or four hours actually training the players. Whatever he put out, it almost didn't matter. But what interested me was that within that first 25, there was a definite shape. There was a definite team plan. You could clearly see that the fullbacks were pushing on, which was good. Harder on the left, obviously. I'm not entirely convinced the shape's right there. But certainly on the right-hand side, I thought uh, Fallowfield looked really good there. And I think the players looked more comfortable playing the 4-3-3. And then as was probably quite predictable. He's only had two days to work with them. They kind of ran out of steam a bit, um, lost their shape. And what I thought was really interesting and quite predictable, I suppose, was that 
we fell back into the old habits. We panicked. We didn't know what to do with it. We had to whack it at long to get, get the ball away. And then obviously when they scored, yeah, I know we got a second one, but the heads kind of went down. But I thought that first 25, probably the last 20, 15 maybe, actually there was there was a shape, there was a plan. There was it. They looked like they actually knew what they were doing, which I can't necessarily say from other games I've seen this season, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'd go along with that in terms of the the first twenty five. I thought we we looked a lot more fluent and a lot more like people knew what runs they were meant to be making. You mentioned Fallerfield; he mm. did stand out. I mean, firstly, um, Ardley's made him captain, so clearly, sort of um, recognised him as being one of his key players potentially. It's interesting to shout that because I thought he'd just stick Howard because obviously Howard being his captain at um, mm. Solihull. Um, there's other contenders. Um, I mean. Um, a lot of the new lads have been captains. I don't know if he's just gone, well, you've been here before, you've been here you know, a season and a bit, therefore I'm going to pick you. Whether it's also saying, look, you're going to play pretty much every game if you're fit, the captain should play most games, therefore I'm going to give it to you. There's a lot of contenders. Um, I kind of go with the idea that you have a group of players who all want to get involved and kind of shout and lead from the front, lead by example, lead, you know, tell people what to do. He is one of them. But I thought it was really interesting that, like, Howe was just constantly shouting everyone, telling everyone what to do all game. Uh, Cordner as well was kind of getting amongst that, which is good to see. So I think it doesn't really, for me, it doesn't matter so much who has the actual band as long as they're actually leading on the pitch. And that was the difference mm-hmm. of that first 25. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if we look at the action from the first 25 and the first big chance fell to Castro again it was Fallerfield involved his cross found Castro basically free in the box by himself he took a touch should probably score maybe a decent save by the keeper what were your thoughts on that one Ben from where you saw it in the ground it was quite it was quite uh, sickly amusing, actually, if you look at it, because it's I think it's a wonderful cross from Fallerfield, good vision from him, but um, there's there's no legal reason why Castro should be by himself in a penalty area with that much space at the far post. I mean, if you watch back on the highlights and, you know, seeing it live from the south stand as we did, he is by himself. He is in his own postcode. He has that much space. And I think his control kind of lets him a little bit. He um, kind of fumbles under his feet. Um, as obviously, you know, he's, he's a big lad, and unfortunately, his technique wasn't great there. The keeper does well to keep it out, by all means, but um, I think he should be forcing a better, harder save from the goalkeeper. It's definitely there was definitely an opportunity opportunity missed there. But well done, Castro, for finding that space, and well done, uh, Fallerfield, for, for finding him, you know, in it. Yeah, would you go along with that, Will? Do you think he should score? I think or? it's actually a better save. I think it's a really good save. But I think that a Castro's played maybe 100 games more than he has buries that. I think that's possibly a bit of nerves and experience where he just snatches it a bit and doesn't perhaps connect in the way he should do. I think a more experienced Castro absolutely smashes that home. But the keeper played really well. The keeper actually was their best player by a distance. And I know we've kind of come away. There's a lot of chat on the socials about and on uh, Red and Blue and so on, if, I don't know if anyone's on that, um, saying, oh, well, you know, we weren't that great. We weren't great. But actually, bar their keeper, that saved a couple at the end that were really good. We could have won that 3-4-2. And then everyone goes, well, that's brilliant. That's turn it around. You know, what a performance. So I think we have to give credit to the keeper as much as we are going to Castro. You probably should do better there as well. Yeah, We are going to mention the keeper a little bit later for something completely different. Yeah, it's interesting you say it was his, his best, uh, their best player by a distance because he did have a bit of trouble mm-hmm. measuring distances, didn't he? But um, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very good. Um, but let's fast forward to 21st minute. So Fallerfield is involved again. Um, and a lovely pass 
through to Kai Kennedy, which basically splits the defence. Uh, well, it's a well-timed pass and a well-timed run, I guess. Kennedy plays it through to Dippo, and Dippo kind of takes a touch with his right foot, which maybe isn't the best first touch, um, but then recovers to sort of tap it under the keeper with his outside of his boot, and, and we're 1-0 up. Um, I just want to say, um, I want to uh, back our good friend uh, Will up on this because, well, I saw you take a little bit of a mauling on on the forum regarding the first I got touch. beasted. I, I declared it as a terrible first touch. I was like, no, it's genius. I'm not having that at all. But his second I, touch I agreed fabulous. with you on that. I, I thought the first touch wasn't great, but the recovery was the genius. The oh, genius yeah, was in, really the, the, in getting that finish away despite not being the best first touch. I thought you, I thought you were actually giving him credit with the bad first touch included, to recover and to get the finish away through the keeper's legs, I thought it was just, you know, exemplified how good the he is. So I just want to say, I the, back to you. Thank up. you, sir. Thank you. I did see. <laughs> the genius of the finish for me is that a lesser player knows he's cocked up his first touch and absolutely smashes the hell out of that and it goes six feet over the bar. Mm-hmm. To realise you've not not got it where you want it to be and to have the composure to actually get to do it in the way he did to stun it and get it low down when the keeper can't get his legs together in time yeah. is very very clever and on the big dip we are going to struggle to hold on to him he, he looks just an absolute class above isn't he yeah. I mean you know yes, I mean does. really one of the I've been watching since he's 92 I think he's a probably going to be in my looking like in my top three potentially carries on like he does yeah. um barnes and walker for the other two of those who were playing along playing along at home yeah I and mean, i just imagine. want to say sorry i just want to say very very quickly because while it's the dippo by all means you could argue he possibly starts that move because it's his it's the pass from corner to him in the middle i think it's in the senate circle in fact it is and, and it's kai, kai kennedy's you know uh little incisive pass to final field was gets yeah. you know gets a lot of plaudits but it's a back to front goal which is always it a is. pleasure to see your team do, isn't it? Especially with Cordner getting his critics, but his distribution's always been quite reliable. So him into Dippo, him into Kennedy, Kennedy into Fallfield, and back Dippo again. Very, very good, incisive play. Pleasure yeah. to watch. So from start to finish, you know, credit to the team. Yeah. I think it's it's sort of the confidence that Dippo has when he puts it away. Mm-hmm. Maybe fools people to think fools people into thinking that that first touch is intended to be like that. And maybe it is, but you know, he just look he never panics, does he, in front of goal? Yeah. He just looks mm-hmm. so cool and confident. Um, I mean, the only one I can think of is the um, the crossbar uh, the other week at home in front of the South Stand. But, yeah, that, but that was just that came at him really power. quickly, didn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, I don't think you know we can blame him too much for that. Um, no, but yeah, no, no. we're one nil <clears> up and we're sort of um, we're looking well on top at this point. But then Boromwood started to come into it a bit more. Um, mm-hmm. So there's one where Whelan shoots wide for them. That was their first decent chance. After Castro was dispossessed, don't know whether he was fouled or he kind of slipped. There were a few occasions when he seemed to lose his Yeah, I counted, I counted two in the first half. One's on the highlights and the other one was not included in the highlights. And I think you and I, Si, kind of said to one another, didn't we? We thought it was a foul live, but that's your natural bias as a football fan coming into play. I do one of the highlights looking back. Ooh, you know, I'm not too certain. I think it's weak play. I think he kind of goes on a little bit easy, but... Um, it's it's because it happened twice. That was the frustration with Castor in, in that first half. It, it happened in the exact same position where he just seemed to lose possession under very minimal pressure, uh, especially in a dangerous area, and, and it just further, you know, it just further the frustrations with, with the player. Yeah, it's we will. the mark of someone who's played a lot of uh, under twenty three, isn't it? Cause it's mm. under twenty threes. It's quite, it's quite nice. It's quite. You get a foul for pretty much anything. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily full contact, um, and. And then we're going to talk about him in some depth later. 
I think he's a very talented lad, but I do think he hasn't really got enough professional stuff behind the ears yet. And I think that was an example of someone who expected, oh, well, I've been touched, I should get a foul. And he hasn't. And he got a bit frustrated. And I think that's been his, his career so far to date, to be fair with us. And I think you're absolutely right. I think he went, I think you, he, he thought he'd get a free kick and he didn't. And he probably lost his head a little bit. So after that, we should probably move on to what is undoubtedly the best moment of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so balls sort of heading forwards towards Ashmore, the Borenwood goalkeeper. You know, he's well out of his area. He's clearly mm-hmm. come out to, you know, maybe take a touch on his chest, knock it to another player, something like that. But no, he just decides to catch it, mm-hmm. which everyone's just kind of looking at each other. Because even we were stood at the opposite end of the ground and it was very <laughs> clearly quite far out of the penalty area. I mean, I'm mm. side on and he's miles and miles. It's not even like... And you, listen, you see him and they kind of come out and they realise, no, you know, he's miles and miles and miles over. And yes, there's the rugby line. But I mean, come on. Mm. it's now. I see it's now a, a spec savers advert. Um, <laughs> they've clipped it and stuck it in a spec savers advert, which I think uh, tells you everything you need to know. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it must have been the rugby line. There isn't really any other explanation, I don't think, is there? There was, like, there was some debate in my mentions uh, over the weekend regarding the status of the of the action, whether it's um, a yellow or a red, etc. And there's reasons to believe it's not a, a, a yellow or, or a red card for what he did. And I can just about accept that based on the laws of the game. But he does stamp on Dippo's foot to, to stop the free the quick free kick from taking place, which is why Dippo this, goes down. This so is why is that not actioned? That's not actioned at all by the referee. Well, to me, it's a yellow card for handling outside the box, I'll, you know, because it's not a clear goals opportunity. And then it's another yellow card for stomping on Dippo and he should be off. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a nice uh, moment of amusement in the, in the first half. Dippo hits the resulting free kick over. And then Borenwood had a penalty appeal from Marsh. Uh, Fallerfield mm-hmm. slid in on him. It looked like a dive at the time. Watching it back, does does he get contact, do you think? Or... Do you think it's a dive? I think I think it's very similar to what to what um, Will said earlier about about Castro. I, I, it's hard to gauge from the distance we are. The referee's closer to it, and I accept his judgment. There may have been a touch, but I don't know if it's an impeding foul or an impeding touch from from Fallerfield. But um, what was more amusing about the decision was, you know, that he doesn't get the penalty, but he's subsequently booked a few moments later, isn't he, for complaining to the referee about that decision after players moved on at least two or three, if not four phases. So um, especially in front of the South Stand as well, which more than happy to jeer him. So we mentioned about, you know, Castro losing his head a little bit in terms of not getting the fouls, but the, the number nine for uh, Borenwood, he definitely suffered the, uh, suffered the same fate, didn't he? Yeah, that was quite amusing, actually, seeing uh, just how annoyed he was several minutes after the event and, yeah, deservedly got <laughs> booked for that, which, you know, they're, they're handing out yellow cards pretty freely for dissent this season, so he should have expected that. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I didn't think it was a penalty. Next point of note would be the linesman going off. Another slightly mm. slightly odd occurrence. Apparently, maybe lost his contact lens or something like that. Um, but yeah, it just added to the lengthy. You know, it was about four o'clock, I think, by the time the first half finished. After all that, yeah, which yeah. has happened a couple of times. Um, Felt very surreal, and that didn't this bit didn't help that on the hottest day of the year, it seemed when we were all <laughs> absolutely bacon and hate. The ref went, "We'll play about twenty five extra minutes." Mm-hmm. You know, um, surely. I mean, I know, I know, it's the rule that we have to do that. But then, 
game last week or the week before, we only had like one minute and two minutes, which seemed like old school. So mm. I don't know. Some appear to be interpreted with common sense. Some are just like, no, you've had your lot, go home. But yeah, this guy was like, no, well, give them full value for money. You can have an extra half an hour, um, even though it's still baking hot and you're all exhausted and the players are knackered. But yeah, I think he just lost his contact lens on the poor chap. Yeah, uh, I think it was possibly at this point that Batty got subbed off for Paddy. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and he's right. Like you both mentioned, Batty had been maybe our standout player or certainly one of them. He was sort of, oh, I think so. He was I playing, so. I guess, what was the Pivers role last season, you know, the one sitting at the base of the midfield, even dropping mm-hmm. back to right near the defense to collect the ball, start the moves again. But he was, yeah, he was sort of giving out orders and we were starting to maybe see why he's played at a high level. But he did go down a couple of times and apparently it was maybe a dead leg. So hopefully not out for too long because, yeah, in. In him and Woodyard, we've obviously got two very decent defensive midfield options. Just be interesting to see how they play together and whether one of them moves further forward. I'm assuming it's Woodyard sets, Batty box to box, and then someone else kind of doing the floaty creative bit. And I'm not sure who that is yet. Might be Castro, might not be. Yeah, but definitely a a decent performance from Batty um, until that point. And that probably did hamper us a bit in the second half, um, having Paddy in that role, who maybe not quite as dynamic. The last sort of main action of the first half was a great block on the line from Cordner. It's a long throw, which I think Ardley had mentioned before. They're quite keen on, you know, it's one of their main weapons. Um, bounces around a bit after that, and, and Whelan has a shot. Whitley looked a bit shaky, not coming to claim this one, and I thought that a couple of times... But yeah, Cordner's well positioned on the line and, and reacts well to block that one. I know that there's a lot of people uh, on the socials and at the game and so on who, and there was a chap near me who was absolutely coating him. Um, I know he's not quick. Um, I I don't think it, this starts helped. I don't think the messing around with the defence has helped. I do think there is a player there, and I think he can read a game. And I think, as Ben said, his passing out from the back is excellent. Um, I think we should be persevering with him in that defence. That might not be a popular decision right now. I know that people are saying he should be dropped. Um, but I think that block on the line shows why we should have him. I mean, if you do want to drop him, I'm not entirely certain what the options are if you do what we should do so. Obviously, with uh, Sanders down south and um, uh, Joshua uh, being Joshua. So, <laughs> you know, you kind of have to persevere just sheer, you know, out of sheer stubbornness more than anything else. But I just want to echo your thoughts. I think it's a great block on the line. Um, I don't like the fact it's such panicky defending no. in the first half. It, it's sort of play you see on the highlights for like the ninety third minute. You know, yeah. it's something hanging it's something on something yeah. Oh, yeah, to see that that it, that stage of the game is a little bit disheartening. And also the fact it's something as you know inverted commas basic as a long throw, which you know we'd been warned about by the manager. He was well aware of it. To see it cause that much panic was a little bit frustrating. But the blocks there, the blocks there by uh, Cord, then he's done well to do that. So take the positives from there, getting through to half-time with a goal to the good. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about Cordner more in the second half as well and maybe the sort of the the weaker points of his game. Um, but yeah, definitely a, a decent block to keep us on top uh, going into half-time. Moving on to the second half, um, we had a decent chance early on with Maz uh, sort of breaking through and then he, he cut inside and shot just wide. We see it quite often with Maz where he... You know, he beats one or two of their players and doesn't always have the, the finish at the end of it. But I thought it was a decent effort, that one. Closer live in the ground to to us than it did on the highlights. It's, it's an angles thing, of course, but I thought it was not as far as away as it looked on the highlights. 
yeah, I thought it would it looked on the it like looked much much closer life. Um, it's interesting actually if you actually look at the highlights packages, how little Maz actually has featured in those. So if you watch the games live, he's often one of our busiest and most involved players. Mm. Isn't he? I don't know whether that just reflects on the fact that, as you've said, that the end product isn't always there, or whether the fact that it's just the way the highlights are cut together. But yeah, if you if you just watch those, I think it you could perhaps be underselling exactly what he brings to the side at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's whether that. Uh, that lack of consistent end product is balanced out by just how often he's causing issues. You know, if he's making 10 runs at a defense and only two or three of them result in a chance, that's still two or three chances you might not have with someone else in that position. Um, It's sort of, I guess, the Grealish effect, I would call it. You know, Grealish goes on these little runs that doesn't always end up in anything. Sometimes you might just turn around and have to pass it backwards. Sometimes you might lose the ball, but it gives the defense something to worry about. They're having to double up on him leaving space for other players um i agree it's, it's a constant speculation isn't it that's the that's that's what Maz's game's all about constant probing you know you may get me this time but i'm going to try and get you next time and as a fullback you're going to absolutely hate having to go against a player that tricky every single time yeah I, i'm looking forward to seeing how he does in a, a better performing team because mm. he's been stuck at a wing back i think he's he's looked one of our better performers at times this season um, but I just like to see him in a consistent position with a team that knows what they're doing, basically. I mean, if the plan is to go four three three, which is obviously would reflect his, I thought, I think he's better. I don't think he's a wing back. I, I think he's obviously tried hard, but he he just looked very much out of position, and you know whatever it might be. Um, and he was being played on the left as well, which you know, which isn't his strongest foot. I think if we are going to stick to four three three, and that seems to be what. Um, Ardley's talking about then it'd be interesting to see how he plays when everyone's fit and it's going to be him probably him Kai Kennedy and Harriet probably competing for two of those three wide slots yeah. and, I think, and Hurst as well don't forget Hurst as and well. Hurst yeah and Hurst I mean I think when he came in the in uh, Conference North I think he was clearly too good for that league and it, it didn't matter that we people were doubling up on him I think in this league I think that people know he's got some quality and can kind of double up on him but if you've got someone on the side who's performing well that's going to drive people out of position and give him some space. So I think the move to a settled formation, hopefully a settled formation, should pay benefits for him, I think. But just going back to the events in the game then. So 57 minutes in, uh, unfortunately, uh, Boron would get the equaliser. So it starts, I guess, with Whitley clearing it straight to their centre-back, Bush, mm. who brought it forward pretty much unchallenged. Just one pass to play in and love. I thought Callum Howe wasn't tight enough to to unlove there. No, Howe was how how's been my boy so far, but um, for this he he did not do his best. I'm afraid to say. Yeah, and love, you know, he, he took his time with the finish, but as they always say, you can't hurry and love. And very good. He yeah. very good. He you always smart. say that. Yeah, yeah, you've always been saying that for years now. <laughs> and he yeah finished into the the bottom right corner, so it was a bit of a sloppy one. I thought at the time. I thought watching it back, the same. Where do you think the fault lies with this? I've seen some people blaming Whitley, yeah. but I don't necessarily think it's him who's most to blame here. Well, Whitley's strength has always been his shot stopping. I th- I personally think, although you know there's been some dip in form recently. Um, I think his distribution, even end of last year, we're kind of saying, look, he could be our number one moving forward, perhaps, but he needs to improve in his distribution. But you cannot. There's also that, always that always that next phase where you know you need the the, the recovery and the fact that the midfielder marauds forward 
unchallenged, completely no one near him before he gets to the box, is an indictment again of our midf- like how our midfield's been. It's happened so many times this season where the middle third of the field is just open to the opposition, and it happened again here. So it starts with with um, with Whitley, but there's, there's an ample opportunity to, to rectify the problem and, and you know and try and, and try and fix it, and it's just not taken. I think it's a wider thing. I think the fact that um, we had Webb, and this is going back at 12 months, but we had Webb who clearly left the players confused. Yes, Morton came in. Yes, they kind of pulled together and got themselves out of it and we got away with it. But, you know, for all that, you know, Morton came across and um, the new board praised him as being passionate and being keen and being a a lovely chap. um, I didn't see the players knew what to do. I saw players that the heads went down very easily. There was no lack of confidence, was lack of awareness, was lack of a kind of a, almost the, the kind of the absolute basics. And I think for me, the goal was coming just because we looked like we'd got our heads down. We didn't know, what, didn't know how to pull ourselves out. So I don't think, yes, individual people could have done something slightly different, but as a team, I think we'd kind of switched off and kind of given done the whole oh, not me, um, you have it, you have it. And I don't, I think as a collective collective responsibility um, had kind of gone by that point. And to me, that is reflective of the fact that the previous management team and the management team before that had them doing all kinds of random stuff and had confused them, basically. So to me, it's a failure of systems and that lies with the previous management. Yeah, so we've let in the equaliser. Yep. Uh, but just five minutes later, uh, we're back in front. Not necessarily through any particular, you know, Great improvement in play. It was it was maybe just that we got a bit lucky. But uh, Dyson crossed it in. Ball falls to Castro just outside the edge of the area. And he takes his shot pretty quickly. It must have a deflection. I didn't see the deflection it, at the yeah, time. Um, it, and it's, it it's hard to see on, on the highlights. But just based on the fact the keeper doesn't go the right way. And it, it's he not that powerful. Yeah. Um, there must have been a deflection. But I guess credit to Castro for you know yeah. taking the gamble. From there, there was enough power on the shot um, to get it in. Ticket, lottery, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Any thoughts on this one, Ben? I like the way he celebrated. You know, he went he went to the crowd, arms in the, aloft in the air, celebrated his teammates. It meant a lot to him. It meant a lot to his teammates that he got this goal. He clearly cares. The, the um, I think the mentality is there. He wants to succeed. So, you know, we can, we're can we going to debate him properly later. I, I understand fully. But um, it was nice to see that. I thought, um, you know, they all count. And uh, we'll mention the lottery, but you could see it meant a lot to him to, to get that first goal for York. Back in the lead, 2-1, but only for a few minutes, unfortunately, because there's another goal goes in on 66 minutes. It's the second equaliser from Boreham Wood. Would you say this is maybe, just watching the highlights back, the most distressing footage involving <laughs> Boreham Wood since Nasty Nick's antics in the Big Brother house in Series 1? Ah. Oh. Good historical plot point callback. Yeah, <laughs> nice. Um, Calamity of errors, wasn't it? Uh, if you watch it back, it doesn't get any easier with watching. Um, our lads look like they're playing as five-year-old on a game of FIFA, and they just roll the bigger boy, just roll it about between themselves after you, after you, and then someone absolutely bangs it in the corner. Um, it needs the Benny Hillmuse go over the top. It really is. It's just an absolute calamity. I do think it reflects on morale and team spirit isn't all that great. Um, I think Fallowfield absolutely goes, I will deal with this and flies into it and ends up 
spread eagle as the ball pings away from him. But yeah, it's it it's not a great look um, from us defensively. Um, again, I think as I say, that's more about the speaks about the moral uh, morale even and um, the positive attitude within the group. Possibly they kind of seem to almost accept that these people are going to humiliate them on their own patch in their own penalty area. Yeah, I also just want to add to that. Like, to be a little bit more specific than Willows, I think Will's been. I think Will's been nice and maybe perhaps too kind because <laughs> I think I think Corner does need to do better there. He gets into a position where he can he can cause uh, a lot of problems, but he doesn't. And you know, um, there's been comments on forums and social media, social media about um, Corner from a fitness and a body size t- uh, point of view. And I'm not going to echo or reinforce any of those statements. I think um, Corner is um, the right size for a good, you know, for a centre half. We happily accepted, uh, you know, lads who are bigger like Parker and McNulty, etc. So, you know, we're not going to do that. But he's got it and he might as well put it to good use. I, th- I think he's a little bit too weak with how he deals with uh, unlove. It's it's far too easy for him to get around it. it but you know why that it, is, don't you? Is it the power of unlove? Hurry, if you can't hurry <laughs> unlove, you'll just have to wait. Anyway, sorry, as you were. Yeah. It- oh, no. I will give Barnwood some credit. I think the yeah. intricate, you know, the, the, the tippy tappy play they did in the area to, you know, to secure the goal to make sure it definitely happened. I was I, I was actually a little bit impressed with that, but yeah. we gave them the opportunity to get there, we did. and it's yeah, very did. frustrating. Yeah, I mean, just to relive, we, we've described it as a catalogue of errors. Uh, just to go through them one by one, so Dyson gets beaten to a second ball by Griffiths. Maybe that's the first error, but the the big one for me is Unlove beating Cardner for pace far too easily. I mean. Not even not bringing things like body shape and body size into it, you know. That's like you say, that's irrelevant. Uh, when when we saw how good Steve McNulty was, it's just you you can't let someone pass you that easily. My worry is that if if teams know that Cordner has a lack of pace and you can get past him that easy, they're going to start targeting that and may already have have done that. You know, if they've seen that in in our first few games, for all his qualities, bringing out the ball, if you can see, all right, all you need to do is knock it past that guy. And then you're in, um, or just play one pass, and and you'll be able to outpace him. You know, you can have all the qualities in the world, but if you haven't got a system that can accommodate that, or players covering him, you know, maybe McNulty's positioning was better, or maybe you know we were playing three at the back, and we always had someone to cover for him. Whatever it is, we have to play to his strengths. Mm-hmm. I do think there's an argument there. I agree with everything you've just said. Simon, I do think there's an argument that goes we haven't actually done a proper settled defensive system yet. We've had all lots of players in there, lots of we've gone to a three, we've gone to a four, then we went to a five and then to a three. Players mm-hmm. I think I think he might have played right, left, and centre of the three in the first mm-hmm. seven or eight games. So I I agree completely with you. And if we're still seeing this, if we put a settled back five out for ten games, it's still happening. I'd be concerned. My hope is that once all the players know what their role is and who's covering who's, who, who's, pick, who's picking up the man, that might cease. Yeah. yeah, I think we've seen enough quality from him to know that yeah. there, there probably is a, a good player in there. Yeah, but it's the, so. it's the Sean Newton thing. It's you have to be able to do the defending bit as well mm-hmm. to be able to be as effective in that role. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Cardinal's not, not a bad-looking lad. I bet, I bet Cordner's got a really good modelling stare, <laughs> like a really good blue steel. I bet he can do a fantastic modelling thing. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we've got, uh, we've got a good-looking centre-backs, I'll be honest. Uh, yeah. Cal's a good-looking lad, and so is uh, our Cords. Yeah, I have no problem with that. 
Yeah, uh, look out for the same old city special where we rank the attractiveness of the current city squad. <laughs> Patreon, ex- <laughs> Patreon exclusive after Christmas, I think. <laughs> yeah, so if, yeah, I only got to, uh, halfway through describing that goal actually. Sorry, uh, yeah. no, no, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so and love beat Corden of pace too easily. Then he cuts inside How, who was, again was maybe beaten too easily, or they did do some decent things in the game. Can we do a how deep is unlove line at this oh. point? Good, right? Mm, As you yeah. will, carry on. <laughs> like it. Um, and you mentioned Fallowfield. I think Fallowfield hasn't noticed Marsh making the run behind him. I don't think it, no, if, I agree. If with you that. watch the highlights back, and I think that's why he goes to try and tackle and love, um, and then obviously that just leaves Marsh free. So he taps it to him, um, and then he taps it back, and and love rolls it in. I mean, I didn't. You know, when I was in the ground at the time, I didn't quite see who it was who finished it off, but then they announced it. And, you know, of course, it must be in love. Anyway, it's too old at that stage. Still a good half hour to play. And my worry at that point was, you know, are we going to crumble having conceded these two sloppy goals, having looked good at first and then fallen away a bit? Um, I don't think we did. No, I think that's my big take. We started off well um, and then we had... We had the sloppy goal, and then we got the equalizer. The sorry, the second goal, but still. But actually, then we kind of bounced back. We looked quite good at the end. We could have nicked it bar their keeper mm-hmm. in two or three decent saves again. And again, very very early days. But the way we started, the way we finished, where we didn't let our heads go, we didn't let our heads go down. And in the words of Russ Wilcox, we go again, and we probably won that final fifteen minutes, if that is such a thing. Um, and that, to me, was the sign of little tiny green shoots already under Ardley that there is a team there who aren't going to give up. Because I, yeah, I thought when that second team we'd actually end up losing the game. Mm-hmm. I think I actually put even at one nil up after we'd capitulate, not capitulate, but spend the last twenty minutes of the first half basically getting further and further back and banging it long. I predicted we'd lose the game. The fact that we didn't, we finished well, we finished strongly, uh, for me was a positive. And I, I'm quite excited to see what Ardley can do with some more time and some more playing around. Yeah, um, I think we had the best chances really late on mm-hmm. um, to get a winner. They did have one decent chance where Hurst blocked on the they line did. from Timmy Abraham, which I mostly only mentioned because I really love the fact that Tammy Abraham has a brother called Timmy Abraham. It's like the, uh, <laughs> the knockoff version from uh, from Poundland or something. Um, yeah, what you get if you order uh, Tammy Abraham off Wish. <laughs> yeah, precisely. But yeah... Uh, our best chances. One of them was Siziba, who came off the bench and looked. Do you great. reckon he should be scoring that chance, Siziba? Well, I think he. I think he does a lot well. So he. he, he starts oh, he does. The build-up play is lovely. Yeah. So it's a one-two with Dippo. He beats the defender. Does everything right except from the finish, which it's not far mm. wide. It's a low finish, just yeah. wide of the far post. I, I think that's harsh to to say that he should do better there. Obviously, yeah, you want him to hit the target, but. I think he's um, he's shown a lot of uh, <clears throat> the kind of thing we want to see from him in that move. Yeah, that's true. Um, another chance from a corner where uh, Maz floated the corner in and there was a volley from Callum Howe, which was sort of quite a nice acrobatic volley. Um, yeah, it was, which, yeah. Which their keeper just tipped over. And I think if that's either side of the keeper, it's probably a goal. I would say that's exactly right, yeah. I think that's that. That was just at the right place for him to get his hand on it, wasn't it? A bit either side, that goes in the back of the net. And then the last big chance was another volley um, from Ollie Dyson, which again came from a corner, which was headed out towards him. And then, yeah, really sweetly struck volley 
Which if that, if that goes in, that's goal. That's goal of the season contender right there. It's a fun, It's a really really good sweet strike. My bugbear with Dyson is that I don't think he strikes them for. A, no, he doesn't. There are, there are levels. He's clearly infinitely better than I am in the same scenario, but he's not <laughs> a good striker of the ball. Yes, I know he got that brilliant volley away at Chesterfield. Yes, I know he has scored some good goals. But for a, a chap who does that, who, you know, gets in and around the box like he does, I don't think he's, his striking of the ball is as crisp as yeah. perhaps it could be. And if you look at someone like, let's say, Mitch Hancocks, who is, you know, honest, hardworking, terrific terrier, doesn't have the natural ability that Dyson has. Hancock sweeps, gets the ball on target, struck sweetly. If Hancock hits it, it's on target. He forced the keeper to either make a save or it goes in most of the time. And Dyson mm. doesn't do that. He bobbles it or he pulls it wide or he makes he just did. and that. But he did in this case hit it really, really well. And it, yeah, it was a good yeah. a good save. So just after the Hurst off the line, you did have Dyson. And uh, my friend Matt, who was next to me in the ground, in the South Stand, did say this. It, we need to stop having the young lads saying, shoot, when Dyson gets, you know, outside <laughs> the penalty area. It's, it's not helpful because, as Will says, sometimes it can do it. it and it's not just him, actually. No, I'm no, not trying not, to pick up single out Dyson here. It's every midfielder who rewards forward the ball. Please don't shoot from there because 19 times out of 20, it's not going to go in. It's going to go high and wide. I'd rather keep the possession and recycle from there. Anyway, Dyson has it in him where he gets maybe a little bit too giddy from a certain distance and, and tries, you know, tries a little bit too hard and it goes high and mighty. But I have to give him credit, the technique on this volley. Yeah, it was good. I think it was, about, it was quite amusingly identical to what Howard done just moments before. But, you know, they were both unlucky not to, to be getting that late winner. So um, it's good to see the conference to try such things is still there, even at the uh, the death of the game. I agree. Yeah, my theory with Dyson is you, you just don't want to give him time to think about it. He can hit like an instinctive <laughs> shot really well. He can play a one-touch pass really well. But as soon as he's going on a run towards the box or he realises he's got a chance, he just kind of overthinks it somehow. Or, you mm-hmm. know, he's quite a, a neat, tidy, instinctive player and he's obviously got some ability. But, yeah, there just seems to be something missing in terms of converting that into um, mm-hmm. actually hitting shots on target a lot of the time. But, yeah, that was the last main chance of the game. So it finishes to all. Just looking at some of the tweets we had uh, in reaction to it, we had a tweet in from Benson Diesworth. Uh, Two sloppy goals to add to the tally of sloppy goals this season. If we had a half-decent defence, we'd be much further at the table. Um, Can't argue with that, really. Another one from Sean Wathy. A step in the right direction. Defence needs work, and a lot of that comes from the protection it gets in midfield. Losing Batty had a big impact on us. Another one from Firthy 1983. Saw more movement and rotation of positions today after two days of hardly ball training than in Morton's whole tenure. Looked really slick at times, but Batty's injury really unsettled us and we let them back in with sloppy goals. We are also crying out for Woodyard to be fit. That last one's got it for me. I mean, it's, we had some tactical shape and there's a lot of lot of positives to build on, but we lacked, we lacked Woodyard. We, it's settled systems. We get that, we'll be fine. But do we think we saw enough in terms of signs of improvement Again, based on him only having been in charge for two days, to sort of give us some positivity moving forward. I think so. I'm a little bit. I think yes, but at the same time, there could have been maybe a little bit more uh, positive attacking play from, from in a wider sense. I think um, the frustration of that middle, middle, uh, you know, chunk of the of the of the, the full nights there, where Borenwood did look more cohesive, and that comes from from you know being settled like after yeah. 
yeah. as opposed to us having two training sessions. But I still felt players, some players could have offered a little bit more. I think Kai Kennedy could offer a tiny, tiny little bit more in his play. I know they had the, the incisive ball to, to Firefield, but um, he's a player with a lot of potential. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more from him. Mm. We're going to go into the Castro debate soon, but um, the attacking ingredients are all there. I just don't think they've been put in the... Uh, in the right order yet. The 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 the, no. the um the recipe's just not quite right yet. And I think with those three chances at the end, Zeba, Howe and um Dyson, you get the, the jammy winner at the end. Jobs are good everyone's and but it didn't happen. Everyone's yeah. happy, aren't they? Go home, brilliant, yeah. first win, blah blah, new manager bounce, yada yada yada. No. I agree. I agree it with just that. just didn't quite happen. So I think we've gone from know. looking in the ingredients cupboard and going um and throwing random things in the pan and it being horrible, which is Morton, to doing basics we've made a basic omelette and it was perfectly pleasant and now we need to start adding things to it and i would hope I that hardly <laughs> adds adds things and goes in the fridge and finds the cheese and the ham and the onions and all that kind of stuff and gives us some put some put some pepper on to really stretch and make that analogy bizarre are you telling me that we should get a chef called harriet into uh to help yes that, that, yeah, that would work we very go. well spicy yeah, but we did mention there was one player in particular we wanted to look at um, who was on the score sheet in this game, um, which is Castro, because I think, you know, um, we, we've played eight games this season now. I think we, we need to talk about Quevin, basically, uh, which will mm-hmm. be the episode title. What do we think? Because I've seen a lot of criticism of him after this game and other games. From what I've seen, and I think this might put me in a minority looking at Twitter and other things, I think there is genuinely a player there. I just don't think we're using him in the right way. I think we need to work mm. out a system where he can basically be, you know, free to do all his charging forward, the ball stuff, the skills that he has got. And then it, it's when he comes back, when he comes back into our half or drops back or tries to get involved kind of around the halfway line and loses it, I think that's what gets played into trouble. I think he is one of those players that will try and do something additional and extra. I think he's going to try and complicate things. I think he can, given time and given some confidence, I think he could be really, really good. I think the issue is that I think we haven't quite used him properly. And as I say, I think he's still very, very young in football terms and hasn't really Mm. learned how to play with the big boys yet. And I think if we can get him doing his stuff at the top end, and keep him out of kind of the midfield battle where I don't think it's particularly a strength. I think we might do all right. And that relies on the manager picking an 11, which benefits that and allows him to do that. You know, you don't, you don't stick your flair player at right back and go do something there because they won't. Um, I think for me, it's horses for courses. I think if I'm picking my best 11 or best 16 now, he's in it. I wouldn't necessarily start him every game. And if I was starting him, I'd make sure he was right at the top of that midfield. And mm. with the instruction, just get forward, get amongst their box, get into their box, yeah. get amongst their defenders, cause havoc and stay up there and don't start mm. coming back. That's when the problems come. Would you go along with that, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I've said it before on this show that I think he is the cliched luxury player with you know the biggest inverted commas that you can find. But just to echo a little bit and expand on a little bit of what Will says there, he's the type of luxury player that I think you kind of have to cater towards with your midfield or even your entire front six. And I'm happy to do that, but it's risk versus reward because if he's not performing, 
I don't know if the rest of the team does, but when it does come off, when he has played well, and I think the one that springs to mind for me is when he came on away at Dorking. Just, just all limbs, just wrecking havoc. Defenders didn't know where to look, what he was doing with the football, how you know, his movement, because he's so languid. The way that he he trots across the field, with and without the ball. When it looks good, it looks so good. But it's making sure it looks good more than it doesn't. And if we have, if I can think theoretically, we have uh, Woody Adam Batty behind him, then that I think that could be a really good solid base for him. Mm-hmm. But it's relying on him doing it frequently, and we've not. I don't think we've seen it enough yet to justify that confidence in him doing that. Not throwing out, you know, not saying that he can't do it, not saying that he shouldn't be playing him. I'm just, uh, I really want it. I want him to be that X factor. I want him to be that wild card that you know in in the pack, especially behind Dippo, because I can only imagine the havoc them two can cause. I just worry about the consistency, and you know, when it's this level, you know, it is Division Five That's after fair. all. He is yeah, here yeah. for a reason. You do have to worry. But no, I'm still quite confident he can yeah. he can cause a good impression at York. I'm just perhaps maybe not as sold as confident as 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 well as. Yeah, I think I'm I'm still a believer as well in Castro. I think he's maybe the kind of player who looks bad in a bad team, in the sense mm, that yeah, that's fair. His body language is going to draw criticism. Reminds me a bit of Meza Özil in a way, not necessarily in his playing style, but in the sense that. You know, if he's in a team which isn't succeeding, people say, oh, he's a waste of a shirt. He's mm. not tracking back, whereas he can look fantastic in a good team. So once we're performing better, which will hopefully happen quite soon, um, I, I think we're going to see more from him then. And we're going to really yeah. see why there there has been hype about him in the past. Um, or at least that's my hope, which I'm clinging on to. That's our thoughts on Castro. But what about our first impressions of Neil Ardley as city manager? Um, not just in terms of that first game, but in terms of his initial press conference, um, in terms of, you know, he's brought in Neil Cox as assistant. I, I thought he um, spoke well at the, at the press conference, as the cliche goes. I mean, I'm always sort of a bit reluctant to put much, um, you know, on, on these press conferences because someone can talk a really good game and, you know, unless that translates into results, it, it's kind of irrelevant. But that said, I thought he did about as as well as as he could at a press conference. You, I heard all the things that you would want to hear from a city manager. Yeah. Um, he does seem to be that guy who inspires confidence, who's going to be a cool head, who's going to have high expectations of the players, but not kind of hang them out to dry. Yeah, I think I said, um, I remember saying on, on Red and Blue, it's very hard to get a, your first press conference wrong. You just make sure you hit the right notes in the right order. So, you know, he did that. But then I listened to the full 45-minute one that was released by the club. And, you know, I was getting excited. Just hear, think, hearing, you know, very plain, straightforward, but it was still football speak. He was talking about his own record. He was talking about Solihull and Wimbledon and little bits of what happened at Notts County. And he was talking about what made him so appointable. And he made it sound so straightforward that um, there was no, you know, flash, silly football speak that we kind of came to resent a little bit under the previous manager. And... I just got on board with it. I think um, he said the right things on a professional level, but he also mentioned the personal element. He, he, he spoke about York quite fondly. He spoke about moving up, you know, moving up here more, you know, to be close to the club as his family's staying down south. So that commuter aspect, it made him sound much more human. And he jokingly mentioned York races, which, you know, I know that doesn't sound much, but it made him sound like an actual human being enjoying the occasion. You know, he was talking about his own personal experiences. So there was nothing robotic about him. It was all very natural. I thought it was quite warm as well. 
he sounded like a manager that I'd want to listen to every, you know, every Saturday pre and post match and see what he has to say. So yeah, I was as impressed as I think one could be with uh, an opening media impression. Would you go yeah, along with all that? All of that, I I thought, yeah, it, it, quiet competency, mm. the kind the kind of pleasant voice that you'd happily listen to or read you a bedtime story and go, yeah, that was <laughs> that was nice. It was it was it yeah, it was nothing wrong with it at all. He he said all he said all the right things, did all the right stuff. Brought in a man with a funny a funny surname, which is always a, a pleasant thing in a football environment. Yeah, I think the thing that I liked most about his press conference was how he really seemed to be wanting to take the pressure off the players yeah. and make yeah. it about him and say, you know, even though he'd only been there a couple of days, he was felt like he was setting him up well for that first game. You know, he's mm-hmm. saying, you know, the the results will be how he's judged, but he wants to, you know, put take the pressure off the players, which was a nice contrast to, you know, the previous regime had been basically not hanging the players out to dry, but sort of saying, well, we're telling them this stuff in training and it's not translating. <laughs> yeah, um, very true. Moving on from Ardley then, let's just look ahead to the couple of fixtures coming up this weekend. Um, oh, sorry, this this coming week. So we got Southend at home, which is obviously going to be a bit of a loving with, uh, see, uh, there's an article came out today. Uh, apparently Matt Ugly was, was wanting to buy them previously. Yeah, um, that's right. He looked at them, didn't he? And obviously there's been the uh, collection for their fans and uh, donations and so on. And then... Oldham away on Tuesday night. So what are we expecting from, from these two games? I think it, you have to, you can't look at the league table for Southend. They're clearly much, much better than that league table position suggests. I think it's two actually quite hard games for him, two decent teams back to back. I would be, I think we can't go, oh, well, he has to win it. No, we just have to, again, to the green shoots, let's have a settled side, look like we have a system. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't win either. We might draw one, lose one. We might lose them both. I don't know. We can't then start getting all aerated because we've not won the first three under him. We have to give him time to build. And I think if we run the risk of jumping up and down and expecting great things from these games, I think we've been a rude for awakening. For rude awakening, I think this is a long-term thing. I think those that say, "Oh, we're two good players," and a good manager off winning the league that's nonsense I think we'll do very very well to be in the playoffs very well indeed from where we are now I think from realistically I think his first thing has to be pick a settled side get the players playing for him get the formation sorted and then from there look to kick it on so we'll for me we might we might not win a game for the next month he says cheerily um join us next time everybody for more cheery insights <laughs> into um, york city football club for me it's just again more of the same i know that's boring and that's you know but i think you know if we do, if we play well and we we win or draw or even lose playing a proper system i think that might be the level that we're at mm-hmm. yeah in terms of south end um i think they'd be fifth without the points deduction so we need to sort of judge them on that basis rather than them being low down. And even aside from all the you know crisis that's happening there, yeah. they've clearly obviously still got a decent team. Yeah, Oldham is an interesting one because they were obviously quite hyped before the season as being one of the title favourites potentially. They've only won one game. They're struggling a bit compared to those high expectations. Had a lot of draws. Seems like David Unsworth might be under a bit of pressure there. Um, so maybe that's not a bad place to be going. Uh, midweek. I think you're going to that game, are you, Ben? 
Yeah, I'll be going. Um, I think the issue I have with Oldham is I agree with everything you've just said there, Simon. It's that's all very good pertinent points, but you just worry if they're thinking the exact same thing about us and you know uh, rubbing their hands together about the prospects yeah. about playing a team that were you know up there in the betting before the season started and now now they're at the bottom as we're entering into you know the leaves turning brown. Um, I'm worried. About, I'm not so much worried about Southend. That's as Will says. You know, seeing the hard work of Adley. Puts you know you know puts the test a bit more at home, seeing how it looks. But all them away, Park Libby is forgiving. You know it's going to be a very loud crowd. It's going to be a big crowd. They're going to be in well attended uh, fixture that one. We'll take a few numbers ourselves. But um, I went to the corresponding fixture last year. I know you can't compare the um, the dying days of Web to what we're about to experience, but um, it was a big old stadium. You know against us that that particular evening, and I worry about that again this time round. Um, and I worry about our friend Holly Willoughby, or Kurt, as he's more better, better well known, uh, coming to haunt us a little bit in the fixture. So we'll have to see. He's not scored for them yet, has he? Well, well, well. Nailed on, everybody. We all know how this ends. We've all seen this story before, surely. So that's um, pretty much all we've got to say for this episode of Same Old City. If you're wondering about the retro section, don't worry. Uh, we haven't abandoned it because I know people have been enjoying those. Um, we're doing quite a special one this week because it's about the 3-0 win at Old Trafford from 1995. So what we're actually going to do this time round is release that on its own next week for the anniversary because I think that one, there's been a lot of interest. I think it sort of can stand on its own. Um, maybe people don't want to listen to an hour of chat about Wood before it. <laughs> Some people will, obviously, um, and hopefully yeah, you, you've made it this far. But um, yeah, the with the with the current stuff, obviously it's got a bit of a um, shorter shelf life. Maybe if we can get that out quickly and then put the the retro stuff out separately going forward, we'll see how it goes this week. But I think that might be a better way of doing it because they're quite separate things, um, and there might be people who are more interested in one or the other. Um, but yeah, we're, we're definitely excited about the uh, the Man United episode. So so keep an eye out for that one, um, and don't worry, we haven't given up on retro. But yeah, the only other thing I wanted to touch on is there's been some news come out in the past couple of days that Hull City are apparently advertising for staff for a new club shop, which is going to be located in in York. Mm. Any thoughts on that? This strikes me as very bizarre. Yeah, it's a strange one, isn't it? I mean, um, I think in response, the best thing that we can do at York City is maybe try and open a club shop somewhere in Inverness. I mean, that's I think that'd be that'd be a proper retaliation to this because. I think there's a, a, a there's as many York fans in Inverness as there is Hull fans in York, so you know I think fair is fair, isn't it? I mean, you could sort of you could understand a a Leeds shop, and I, I say understand. You just oh, come on, behave. Sorry. <laughs> From a demographic point of view, um, oh, okay. you could maybe understand why Leeds United might decide to open a shop in York. But yeah, yeah how many I, how I, many Hull City shirts do you see uh, around York? It seems a, a, a very odd move. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it ends up being bigger than our own club shop, that would be... Uh... It would be galling, wouldn't it? It Get would be ghouling. Yeah, it would be ghouling. Can we go very for that? Very yeah. good. Very uh, good. Yes, very oh, good. Oh, as in ghouling. I thought you were doing like an early Halloween pun. <laughs> no, just, just a bit of East Yorkshire chat. On that bombshell. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Like I say, keep an eye out for that uh, Man United episode, which will come out a few days after this one does. So before we go, Ben, I know you like to... Uh, tell everyone about our socials got anything to add this week 
Yep. So we do appreciate your interaction um, ahead of the uh, Manchester United retrospect. But as as I si said earlier, the uh, feedback regarding uh, York's fixture at home to Barnwood this week. It's been great to hear your opinions. Can't get enough of them. And numbers are very slowly increasing. We do greatly appreciate it. So we are on both Instagram and on Twitter as um, at same old city pod. And we'd love it if you could have your follow and your interaction. It'd be greatly, greatly appreciated. Just to say thanks, Will, for coming on. Uh, I know you're going to be joining us for the Man United chat as well. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been great to have your input. Thank you, guys. Nice to be here. And yeah, hopefully everyone's not too disappointed by the uh, the draw against Boromwood. After all, you know, that is the power of and love, isn't it? I feel like it's diminishing returns with these puns, but I did want to close on one there. So. <laughs> Keep the faith.